Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This podcast contains information, theories, and speculation based on the A Song of Ice and Fire novels by George R.R. Martin. It can and will spoil future episodes of the HBO television series Game of Thrones. This is your one and only spoiler warning. If you're looking for our non-spoiler podcast on Game of Thrones, please look in our feed archives for our Sunday night instant take and Tuesday afternoon full podcasts, or go to baldmove.com for our entire catalog. Hey, welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by Bald Move on baldmove.com. This is the spoiler edition for HBO's Game of Thrones episode 609, Battle of the Bastards, mm-hmm. which was uh, substituted for the Clegane Bowl uh, yeah. by, by, by royal decree. Uh, one, a, a graphic artist sent me a really cool thing where there's like a poster for like a, like a, a boxing promotion style or wrestling style promotion, uh, Clegane Bowl. Oh, and it had okay. like you know in this corner it was the 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 mountain versus the hound, and it had a big canceled by order order of the king, <laughs> and then it had battle of the bastards and the same thing. It was pretty cool. I yeah. meant to post on Facebook and I forgot. Oh, hmm. slash well. got too busy. Maybe it's not too late. Let, well, let's get busy on some spoilers. That's uh, what I think. Yeah. So uh, of course I'm Aaron. You're Jim. Yep. I just you know intros have no meaning. I, I I'm uh, living in a a milieu of podcast right now. I, I you yeah. know you've always said about how difficult it is to keep X many universes in your head. I've got <laughs> uh, I've got this Orange and New Black and Penny Dreadful and Game of Thrones and I'm going to add Jeff Goldblum. Uh, to the mix. Oh yeah, Independence Day. I yeah, I just gonna crawl crawl into a little ball, ball and cry. But one more week left of Game of Thrones, so we got some stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk the Tower of Joy conclusion. We we talked about on the I think main podcast how no one really saw it coming when we get into the third episode and we've got Ned walking up the stairs to investigate 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 <laughs> oh, some screams. No, no, don't, don't do, do that, that, Ned. No. <laughs> Stay strong. Be honorable. Your sister's up there. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, no one, no one predicted that we essentially wouldn't get any more information right. on this until now. And there's only one more episode. How the hell could it happen? And there's so much else to do in that final episode. Are sure. they even going to get there? I mean, it's a seventy-plus minute episode, but still. Uh, Daniel C says John mentioned the Winterfell crypt this episode, so my question is: Can we be so lucky to have side by side cuts of Bran having his Tower of Joy vision conclusion, discovering the truth of R plus L equals J, while at the same time John snoops around the crypts and finds his own headstone, showing he's the son of Rhaegar and Lyanna? Both theories have been out there for a while, but we 
Uh, could we possibly see them both happening at the same time if John is heading down to the crypts to bury Rickon? So, what's this own headstone business? So, one of the there's there there's several popular theories about what is in the crypts of Winterfell. Uh, I have been kind of a casual fan of the fact that Rhaegar's famous silver harp is buried in Lyanna's tomb as a token of you know, the, 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 the meaning of their relationship. Now mm-hmm. others have gone so far as to like, there's some kind of Indiana Jones type shit. Like you, you, you twist, twist Leanna's left tit oh, and God. it opens up and there's a, a, a crypt hidden. that's either for Rhaegar or for John, John Snow in the future to, to kind of, I, I don't know that because here's the thing. The crypts of Winterfell are not like private Ned only man cave. Like, Lots of people go down there. The kids go down there. Right. Servants go down there. Hodor go like this is not like a, a, a private thing. So if there's some kind of big flashing Vegas, burnt, burnt, John Stark is their Targaryen sign. It it, it just can't be like it's got to be something hmm. where you'd have to disinter the tomb or something. You'd, you'd have to really do something extreme uh, yeah. to uncover the secret. Uh, but. You know, I mentioned it myself as kind of like a sly wink to the book uh, readers that they did mention the crypts, and there are some theories about you know there is something significant down there. Maybe we have these twin revelations. Um, now, the question I have with that is, what narrative sense does it make? Like, if Bran is realizing that he is this legit son of uh, of a Targaryen prince at the same time that John himself is realizing it. Mm-hmm. I guess other than the cool, like, oh, my God, these two, you know, they're not even brothers at that point. Uh, The two cousins are realizing something about each other at the same time. Like, the the, the real thing is, like, are people going to realize this? Are they going to believe it? And how is that going to change for John? Yeah. And I've always thought that the most likely vector for that knowledge to be spread is by Bran realizing it and then somehow contacting John. I, I don't know. It seems like they're mutually incompatible you either have the crypt revelation or you got the brand revelation i don't know why you do both okay what do you think yeah it it does sound kind of cool um i can see those scenes kind of intercut uh in my head but i guess like do they want to use that time in that way in this final episode uh or do they want to just show it from one side and be done with it yeah because i do you feel like that we will get closure on the tower of joy sequence it would feel real weird if they waited until next season yeah and just brought back that tower of joy like that yeah. that feels like a thing you would want to contain to one season uh-huh but who knows yeah i really i really couldn't say for sure yeah i mean i this season has done a lot to kind of upturn or overturn my book reader apple cart in thinking like by bringing back um you know Benjen stark Mm-hmm. That would be the like. Why in the hell would you bring that back? Literally five seasons after the last time he was mentioned, or what played any kind of significant role in the plot, but yet here it is. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, a lot of people, and I want to talk about this in the spoiler cast because you know we've got like seventy five percent of our main audience listens to the spoiler cast too. So mm-hmm. it's kind of becoming a a stealth or extension of the main show. And I don't know when else we're going to get a chance to talk about this. But um, a lot of people emailed me something persuasive about John charging the Boltons, which is, you know, if you had a brother and you had a chance to save them, wouldn't you do it? And all, um, and once you're out there and you're within archery range, 
running forward is a sound tactic because you know your your elf's going to get pelted by a hail of arrows. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's also not a sound tactic because there's a thousand cavalrymen sure. waiting to slaughter you. I mean, I like, guess you're hoping to inspire your troops to come out and meet you in battle. But then again, I, I I just don't know. Like that's fine, and you can say that. I guess that's true to John's character that he might save his brother if you know, like. He either watches yeah. Ramsey toy with him or takes the chance to save his life, and that might tell us something meaningful about John. Um, but I guess my, also, my other opinion is, if I'm a fighting man, do I want my commander to put his flesh and blood above me, or do I want the, him to consider me as equal, or at least, you know, somewhere? Like, like maybe one of me versus his brother, but, like, when there's a thousand of me mm-hmm. who are, you know, looking at him as, like, a brother at arms, does that not mean anything to him? Like... I appreciate the sentiment, and I, I'm, I don't think either one of us said that that's, like, a bad thing for John to do in the context of just, like, his character. But it seems mm-hmm. still there's no way you can put, a, like, a good military spin on it. Right. No, it is a dumb thing to do from the perspective of winning this battle. Yeah. Uh, you know, which was the biggest letdown. I, I'm like I said. Well, how cast, would you have felt if John had just looked on in horror as he gets ran through by... I guess I wouldn't have thought, well, John, what a fucking right. pussy. Not even going to try what to save your brother? heartless bastard. I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought, that man, that's a tough decision. Yeah. That's a hard thing he just had to do yeah. to preserve the lives of all of his men and possibly take back Winterfell, but right. he did it. Yeah. I would have had a little more respect for him, honestly. Like, as a, as a commander, certainly. Now, as a brother, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you have a little less respect for him. Sure. Uh, I also want to bring, shed some light, there's lots of people, a couple dozen people sent me this article from Refinery29, which is some uh, news aggregator site, uh, that has some some meta discussion about Littlefinger's potential plot and what he's planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they went back to season five where Littlefinger treated with Cersei. Okay. And he revealed that the Boltons had married Sansa and she was incensed. And he offers, uh, they post a video in the article, and I'll put this in the show notes if you guys want to take a look at it. Um, But Littlefinger offers to attack Winterfell with the Knights of the Vale. And Cersei says, if you succeed, name me Warden of the North, Littlefinger says. And he says, Hmm. I will not rest until the lion flies over Winterfell. And Cersei says, I'll know you're a man of your word when I see Sansa Stark's head on a spike. So, now we've been talking about what does what does Littlefinger really feel about Sansa? Mm-hmm. Do you think that he would have, is there a version of the history where if Cersei's regime had remained strong and not had fallen afoul of the, you know, high sparrow and not had to do the shame walk and not have her, her, her son thrown into the, the, the sparrows. Is there a version where Littlefinger carries on this threat and sacks Winterfell for the Lannisters and puts Sansa's head on a spike or, is he in love with Sansa and he always meant to betray Cersei? Or he's just seeing where the winds are blowing and Cersei has no power. <laughs> he does love Sansa and wouldn't mind her warm in his bed, so he decides to fuck the Lannisters over. I think his plans are pretty fluid. I do think there, there are feelings Or is there going to be still an assassination attempt in the coming episode? Uh, I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't see that happening. He's um, got a superior military force, so if he kills Sansa, what's John going to do about it? Not much, um, certainly. But I, 
I don't know. I guess I've I've fallen prey to the idea that he is uh, at least a bit in love with Sansa. So I I can't see that happening. The other thing for the Lady Stoneheart diehards, right, is it would be kind of interesting if Littlefinger does kill Sansa. And Sansa's resurrected as because we already we, we kind of discussed in the main podcast how one explanation for Sansa not telling John is she intended to use his ignorance to bait him into a trap so he'd fully commit his forces so Ramsay would think he was going to win right. the day just so mastermind just so the veil the 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 Knights of the Vale could be the the hammer to smash Ramsay's forces against Anvil. That's already kind of a dark and vengeful place for to take her. So she's kind of got half of half of her character arc into the Lady Stoneheart vein, vein anyway. Again, granting all this, you know, uh, perspective on the story, I feel like it would be kind of cool if she dies and is resurrected, and she kind of becomes a Lady Stoneheart, the 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 daughter instead of the mother. Right. Yeah. Um. As long as her head doesn't come clean off. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't go through with the spike. I, no. I think that's that's kind of a metaphor, uh-huh. a vengeance metaphor. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, okay, Dave from Melbourne says, I've just gone back and watched the opening of season five that had the Maggie the Frog prophecy. You also talked about it at the time, but we only saw half of the book prophecy, and this did not include the Valonqar. Right. In fact, Cersei didn't get to say the rest of the prophecy. Is it a chance? Is that Does that mean this has a chance to get Martin's razored? We haven't heard anything about the Valonqar so far. When Jamie and Cersei have their discussion at the start of season six, where he tells her to fuck the prophecy, they also didn't mention Valonqar. While it's such a big part of some tinfoil around who the actual Valonqar is, Jamie, Tyrion, the Hound, etc. I know it's a bit of a um, sorry, not a bit. I know a lot of the spoiler podcasts have mentioned the Valonqar, but are we jumping the gun that this is actually something that will come to fruition, or will we get the same result without the show mentioning the word Valonqar? I have my opinions on this, Jim, but what do you think? Is the fact that they dropped the Valonqar part of the prophecy mean that it's going to be Martin's Razor, or...? Uh, it, it could. I mean, I could see, like, oh, maybe we gave away a little too much with that Valonqar thing in the books. So let's not do it in the show uh, and see if we can maybe disguise it for the viewers a bit more. I mean, uh, we're, something like that. we're one two-minute scene away from putting the Valonqar back on the table. Like, Cersei could... Because sure. that was a kind of um, an open that came out of nowhere. Yeah. So we could uh, start this episode with her thinking back again, getting that extra little detail. Or she could just recount it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this prophecy and 
I've been fearing for it, and uh, I was supposed to be strangled by a little brother. Can you believe such a thing? I mean, there's lots of ways you could put it back on the table, but now that we're six-eighths through the series, or actually more if you consider the fact that seven and eight are likely going to be shortened, uh, season seven Mm -hmm. and eight, I just don't know. And we've had multiple references to it, and neither time has it been mentioned. So I feel like that's something they eliminated on purpose. Do you think the Double Ds would freelance who kills Cersei? Ooh, because that's the thing. Like, I we know for a fact that they will freelance even some big things. Like in the books, Sansa doesn't get married to Ramsay. That's a pretty big freestyle, right? But it is, and 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 if you don't believe they'd freelance it, why not include that extra little detail? Did they just not want to explain what Valencar means in High Valerian? Again, that seems like you wouldn't even have to explain it in, in in Cersei's plot. You could explain it in passing, like Daenerys translating something between Missandei and her like I've never heard that word what is it right uh, do you know what I mean like it if they're going to not change who eventually kills Cersei assuming she dies then why wouldn't you add that cool little detail to get people speculating because it's that's that's a lot of the fun yeah the only thing I think of is maybe they didn't want to they didn't want all that speculation out there for the viewers even hmm. though the book people are going to town on it I'd I don't know. I feel like they've done so much Lady Stoneheart and, and Clegane Bull baiting that they're not afraid of that. Right, right. But it's also, like, there are millions of people who watch mm. this show. There are hundreds of thousands who participate actively in sure. online discussions. So mm. there's a, a big, uh, you know, a, a big chasm between the people who watch and the people who are really digging into this stuff. Yeah. But that's the thing. There's so many cool little brother candidates that, like, the best you can do right. is kind of, like, say, here are your six most likely candidates. Sure. Can't really pin it down. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be... I mean, that's the thing. Like, man, I feel like my Game of Thrones experience isn't going to finish until the last book comes out, because then you can see, ah, yeah. here's what ha- actually happened. For but sure. then, you know, like we've said, I don't even know at this point where you can... Because Martin's just human. He hasn't even started on the last book. If there's something that really goes over like a dead blackfish, mm-hmm. he can always just change it and say that was his plan all along. I mean, you know what sure. I'm saying? Like, yeah. there, There's no way to uncontaminate this crime scene. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's just blood and semen everywhere. Uh, okay, so let's move on from the Valencar. Uh, Rob Smith said, just listen to the Battle of Bastards podcast. And since you brought it up again, I want to address your prediction that Cersei will die this week. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I want to look back at Maggie DeFrog, the hedge witch that predicts Cersei's desk. death, not desk. When Cersei asks about her kids, Maggie's response is, gold shall be their crowns and gold their shrouds. And when your tears have drowned you, the Valonqar shall wrap his hands around your pale white throat and choke the life from you. Okay, that's the book version. That's the book version. Right. Uh, and the show version is essentially the same, except yeah. for it leaves out the Valonqar. I've always read this to mean that Cersei will outlive her children. If you're standing by the prediction that Cersei's reaching her expiration date, does that mean that we will see Tommen die as well? Also, who do you think the Valonqar is? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I had said. Like, she would kill both herself and Tommen in a single yeah. act. But uh, It's funny, because this email is almost a rebuttal of the previous one. Uh, I don't think we'll <laughs> see this plot point succumb to Martin's Razor. Additionally, the Valonqar issue is a bone of contention among book readers, so I imagine it's something that Gurm would have conveyed to the Double Ds. Uh, so... There's a lot of ways you can see this happening, um, and I think we've talked about some of them in previous spoiler podcasts, like Cersei successfully or tries to burn the city with wildfire, uh, does not succeed, 
Tommen is killed in some kind of civil unrest, and right. and Jamie to stop her from doing the wildfire gambit. Yep, uh, chokes her to death. Just or like, she or, does the wildfire. He comes back and sees the horribleness that right, and if, discovers that she killed Tommen with the wildfire, right. and just is beyond angry and kills her. I mean, if I had to bet right now, I'd say Jamie's a Valencar. Right. And, and so that would like you know, and you can easily do that in a single episode and oh, yeah. close out Cersei and have the prophecy come true. Now again, my question would be why leave the Valencar part out, especially <laughs> since they did all the other stuff. Like you yeah. know, the red herring is Tyrion. You know, that's the one that Cersei is completely obsessed about because she's trying to keep these prophecies from coming true. So she's having this huge search for dwarves, and there's like dwarves are being almost hunted to extinction in Westeros because. You find one, you chop off their head, you might get however many gold dragons. Um, lots of dark stuff, and there's just no real payoff to any of that in the show. What if? So what if Cersei kills... Somehow leads to the death of Tommen. And I'm, I'm going to say not with wildfire, but like Tommen dies during Cersei's plan to save herself. Sure. Jaime comes back, and he sees all of the horrible shit that's gone down. The Faith Militant have taken over the city. Mm-hmm. They have The Lannisters are out of power. And it's Jamie who decides to light the place with wildfire in a turn of in a turn of face. That would be pretty interesting and fatalistic from and, and it really would an be. odd character like him. Right. Kill, him realizing that Cersei's not the person he thought she was this whole time. Yeah. And choking her to death seems much more in line with his character arc than him. It does. But on the other hand, it's also I mean, show Jamie is still madly in love with book Jamie and he hasn't been dis or sorry, uh, of show Cersei and he hasn't been disillusioned ah. with her like like book Jamie. Right. So I could see that he would do like that. That would be a different kind of satisfying for him to eventually bring about the thing that he right. And he spent his he whole spent, life dishonored because yeah. he was the golden exactly. boy, and he was like one of. These... And he's finally like, "Fuck it!" You know what? Yeah. Like you pushed him right. too far. You want me to be the bad guy? I'll be the fucking bad guy. <laughs> right. Scar faces it up. Yeah, I could yeah. see that too. I don't know. It'd be as a Jamie fan, I don't like it, but I can't. I can't deny that it has some kind of artistic yeah. merit. Sure, it feels a little Martin esque. Yeah, uh, but I, and also I, none of these feel bad to me. No, like, you're all right. of these eventual outcomes feel like they're satisfying in a different type yeah. of way. And that's the other thing; it'd be an indictment of like the Ned Starks who judged Jamie all those years for doing the right thing. Okay, you yeah. know, Jamie from his perspective, he told the Mad King, "Don't let my father in. Mm-hmm. He's gonna fuck you." And also, I will kill you. I will forsake my vows and kill you rather than let potentially a hundred thousand people die just right. because you are upset that you're crazy. <laughs> uh, so, I mean that, and that's, that's kind of an interesting point too. It, it asks you, you know, why do you like Ned more than Jamie? You know, why? Mm. It's, and, and again, you know, Jamie threw a kid out a window. Yeah. He but, doesn't start off with the great, but, but there again, he tried to do the right thing as best as he could throughout his young man career, and he's got nothing but judgment for his relationship with the sister and nothing but judgment for his quite noble actions. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I like, I mean, they could still find a terrible way to end this that I would be disappointed <laughs> in, but it seems like this is one of those things where, like, there's just a ton of things you could do with this particular story point, and maybe that's why they didn't do the Valonqar, because they wanted to leave it open to... You know, put their different spin on it or give uh-huh. Jamie and Cersei's really, and, you know, still broadly stay true to what's going on in the books, but put a little bit different of a personal spin on Jamie and Cersei's relationship. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, 
shall we move on? Uh, one one last thing on that was yeah. how how open was Martin with the double D's about the the progression of the story, at, like when they were writing season five. Because I know it's become like very open. Like he gives them the latest copies of the books. And he says, "Here's what I intend to happen," and gives them the plot points. But like back then, were they just going, "Well, we don't know what George is going to do, so let's leave this open." That's a great question because the what everyone has said from the very beginning, or maybe it's not even the very beginning, but I know that this talk started around season three that people want to know, like you know, have you seen how this ends, right? And they mentioned, like, they've got the bullet points. Now, okay. I would imagine that as Martin gets further along in his writing process of the Winds and Winter and outlines Dream of Spring, that they continue to be abreast of those changes. Sure. And I will also say that a lot of seasons five and six, in retrospect to me, feel like them pumping the brakes so that maybe they cannot commit to <laughs> something too catastrophic before they absolutely have to. Yeah. Even this season, looking back... There seems like a good hour, two hours of kind of treadmill type plots. Mm -hmm. They were interesting in the time, but when you look back and see kind of like where they did or didn't go. So, I mean, I guess you know, that's the only one that knows the answer to that are the double D's and Martin. Right. So, and you know, the other thing is Martin did a lot of, in the last two seasons has done a lot. I don't think he did anything for this season, but I know the season before and the, and the previous season, he did a lot of kind of whenever there was a controversial thing like Shireen being burnt. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a lot of, well, you know, the show and the book are two different things. And while they tell broadly the same story, Man. there's going to be some people that are alive that are, will be dead and some people that are dead that will be alive. And okay. So, but but then what does that even fucking mean? Since we haven't seen the book, so... Like, it's so weird. Right. I'm trying to judge something that isn't even... I'm, I'm trying to judge how well this thing's hitting a target that doesn't exist. Yeah. And also, the target could be changing in the author's mind right now as I speak. Mm -hmm. You know, like, is Martin going to fall on his sword if he's writing something and he's like, Oh, shit, I'm a gardener and I just grew an even better... Like, this watermelon was okay, but now I got the seedless variety. It's like, he going to, like, I, I mean, I feel like, as a fan, I'd want him to go with the seedless melon. Yeah. If he doesn't want to, if he, if he feels strong about not fucking David and Daniel, then maybe he goes with the seeded one. I, I don't know. Who knows? It's weird. Yeah. Uh, that's the dragon's weakness, watermelon seeds. It's going to be a Westerosi art form, hurling those things thousands of yards. Uh, Andrew T says, "Hey guys, want to take a quick book look at Sophie? Tur quick look back at Sophie Turner and Maisie Williams' Two Truth and a Lie game mm -hmm. that they gave the interview prior to the start of season six that we talked about and spoiler cast about two three weeks ago." Yeah. So the truths, the the three statements, Sophie's were Ramsey dies, Lady Stoneheart returns, and Arya checks three people on her list. Uh, Maisie Williams' statements were Arya returns to Westeros. Uh, Arya is in the preview trailers more than people realize because they don't know it's her. Arya crosses no names off her list. They purported that one of those statements of each of them was a lie. So he decides to do some logic. We're pretty certain that Ramsay dies. A hundred. That's true. A hundred percent. I agree. I agree. Uh, that leaves a truth and a lie for Sophie's list. Uh, there's three names from the list and B, no names from the list crossed off mm -hmm. are logically cannot both be true. Right. We know that 
Ari intends to return to Westeros, though we don't yet know if it will happen this season, mm-hmm. but still seems to be leaning towards the truth. I'd say like 75, 25, maybe even yeah, I think 80, she's, 20. I think she's going to head back this episode. Okay. Uh, so that means 2B seems to be a lie. Arya wasn't shown using any of the Faceless Men's faces in any episodes prior to this season, and as she's leaving the Faceless Men, it seems unlikely she will have much of a chance to use a new face or other form of disguise in 610 either. That is a supposition, but it seems also reasonable. Wait, did he just claim that she hasn't used any faces? No, that she hasn't used one uh, in any prior episodes this season. This season, okay. Yeah. Fair. So it's essentially like if she was going to use a face, she would have done it like when she's hiding from the wave or et cetera. Right. Um, Given the fact that we're nine episodes in, it seems highly unlikely to Arya being in the trailer more than we realize will come to pass. Although... I Going to Westeros, a face might be useful. I was going to say, I wouldn't even... What would you call the odds on this? Like, 60-40? Because I could totally see her, like, stepping off of a boat, and it's... But but who... It, it would have to be... like it was. I, there was no one in the trailers that was, like, kind of central to the POV that I didn't recognize. You know what I mean? Right. Like, who the fuck is this person? Like, well, if now, they showed a rando on a boat going to Westeros, I'd be like, well, oh, that's yeah, Arya. Right. <laughs> or, like, you know, like, the actress and all that. Like, if I... If, uh, those people have all been accounted for. Uh-huh. So, I wonder, you know, either Arya's using a really famous person's face. Like, she's dressed... She's coming in as Danny. Uh-huh. Or Septa or Cersei, which doesn't really make sense, or that is 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 kind of not true. Uh, anyway, you add it all up. One A, Ramsay dies is a truth. One B, Arya to Westeros is a truth. Two uh, B, Arya in the trailer more is likely the lie. Which the bombshell is this means therefore three B, no names for the list must be true. If three B is mm-hmm. true, then consequently three A must be false. Three names which off means the list. Two A. Which means that we can deduce <laughs> that two A must be Sophie's second truth. Welcome, Lady Stoneheart. Yeah, I'm all for it. Let's do this thing. <laughs> That's the thing, like I they I I feel strangely optimistic about a Stoneheart appearance. Really? Because you've been pretty pessimistic on yeah but like again this this logic unless the girls were just fucking with us which i don't know why i'm discounting that you shouldn't they totally could be and they probably if they were smart would yeah but you know and again i've made the mistake of predicting lady stoneheart's coming like three seasons in a row now as like because that would be such a a bomb ass final (laughs) shot but I don't know. I, I, I feel like that maybe there's a room for Sansa to die and her to be resurrected as Lady Stoneheart or for it to just be revealed that Lady Stoneheart's taken over to band Brotherhood of That Banners all along. Mm-hmm. So we shall see. Yeah, I honestly wouldn't be too shocked by that if, you know, Thoris is out there it also explains the orders of Lady Stoneheart. It also would, would ex, here's the other thing that I like. It also explains why Sophie, or I'm sorry, Sophie, why Sansa sent Brienne down to River Run, which was a plot mm-hmm. that really went nowhere because she went down there. It's like, would you come with me, please? Blackfish says no, and then right. they go back. But it gives them excuse to be in the river Riverlands where the Brotherhood of that Banners are active. That's true. Which will, and she still got the, hmm. she's conspicuously also still has the fucking gold lion sword, which yep. is the bone of contention from the books. And they brought all that back up. You're right. That Brienne stuff is just a waste of time. Although, I, I don't mean, know. It connects her with Jamie, which is nice. Like, maybe that's one final time. 
But I'm saying if, but if, if not, the thing is, Sansa, or if people want to know if the Blackfish would help them, like, Sansa just sent a fucking raven to right. Littlefinger, and that was a crucial part of the plot. Yeah. You, why wouldn't she do, why would she, why would it be so fucking important to send Brienne down there? Especially when Brienne's saying, I don't know if your brother can be trusted, I should be by your side, et cetera, et cetera. I, that's why mm-hmm. I guess I'm really hanging my hat on it. Again, I would be, I don't, uh, but I guess if this is true, then it has to be the straight up Catelyn. Stoneheart. Right, yeah, I mean, Sansa's not going to get killed and go out into the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Float down the river. They they see, they row past Sansa's body <laughs> floating down the river. Yeah, oh, yeah, someone, someone, someone threw the body in a river that doesn't even flow. They went to, like, near, Moat yeah. Caitlin or some Caitlin. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like uh, dumping a body in the Ohio River if you're in North Dakota. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sure there are way, man. tributaries you think somewhere. A tributary? <laughs> Probably. Uh, Devin from Iceland says, I want to get your guys' opinion on what seems to be a pretty divisive bit of speculation within the fan community. Do you guys think we'll see the wall come down in the finale, or will they save it for next season? The obvious argument against the wall coming down now is that we still have 13 episodes left. Yeah. By the way, I read an article where HBO is distancing themselves from that statement. The wall coming down? No, the 13 episodes. Oh. They're saying that that was an off-the-cuff statement from the creators, and they're still working on it, and the outlines haven't been, and everything's right. fluid, and blah, 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 blah. So okay. we could get more... Canceled. Or... Season 8. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Jesus. ultimate fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, obvious argument. They only have 13 episodes left, and it seems far too early to have the White Walkers heading south. Is it? I, I'm the mostly War of on Five board Kings with that. has lasted like four seasons. You can't the war of that's true. The war to bring about the dawn is only going to be a seven episode banger. Uh, it, it doesn't feel right to me for the wall to come down yet. Not quite yet. Yeah. Well, the big problem. The big problem is um, there's no real other side. Like, it would be uh-huh. weird if we started to get scenes of the White Walker council chambers where they're like, what are we going to do with this Baelish character? He's running everything. Like, there's... Yeah. The War of the Five Kings, you had five different sides that you could get behind and, like, show the the treacheries and the schemings. And whereas the White Walkers, they, they're not a human institution. They're a supernatural killing machine with a singular purpose. Yeah. Which subverts the fact that, I, I don't, I, like I said, I, it doesn't seem like they're evil or mm-hmm. anything like that but because uh, that's what a lot of people's concern was previous to this season is like well it would be very weird for george to be like oh, i don't like lord of the rings where you got saruman who's just this dark you know evil character and you got these absolutely good characters i want to deal more in gray and then you've got this ultimate evil force everyone has to unite against i feel like that's already been subverted the white walkers i don't think are an ultimate evil no and it's more complicated in their origins even yes you know? like Yes, there's <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of history there, but it also doesn't seem like they have really a point of view other than sure. so where, far. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they could be even more complex. I'm thinking, but I, I guess maybe. I just that's why it says like maybe you could bang it out in seven episodes because there's nothing. There's no like. Meanwhile, at the camp of the white the White Walkers. Yeah, I mean, everything we're gonna learn about the White Walkers, I feel, is gonna come through Brand now. Yeah, because they don't have a voice, right? The White Walkers don't 
discuss things. They don't hold negotiations with their enemies. Exactly. Like, Bran is going to have to be the conduit for all of that. You're not going to have the White Walker, the, the the Night's King's daughter, witness him being executed in the town no. center, and then she flees to the White Walker version of Bravos. For sh- like, of none of that not. shit's going to happen. There's yeah. not an Iron Islands that's, like, in rebellion, and they're going to sack the White the, the Night's King's castle. Like, that's just <laughs> right. not going to happen. It seems like it's, it's just straightforward. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Devin continues to play devil's advocate and says, on the other hand, People are pointing out that there it took an entire eight episodes just for John to amass an army and march on Winterfell. Not to mention that we still have Arya, Euron, Sandor, the brother of that banners, Jamie, Daenerys, Varys, Littlefinger, Bran, Sam, Gilly, possibly Jorah, possibly shit, possibly Jorah. There's no fucking possible about it. Like Jorah's never seen from again. <laughs> well, no, he died. That's a dangling. That's, I would think so. Yeah. Uh, and don't po- forget Gendry. And possibly Dorn plot, same goes triple for that, that yep. need to be wrapped up within the next 13 episodes as well. The argument goes, argument goes if the wall does indeed fall next episode, we still have plenty of storylines to cut between to add some variety, so that's not really 13 straight episodes of White Walker battles. Mm-hmm. Also, the Walkers don't really have anything left to do, so it might be odd to have them just twiddling their thumbs north of the wall for another year. That's kind of been the case for the last three seasons, so... Right. I had a couple emails of people asking me, you know, the one converse of the jetpack theory where it's like, well, people just can move wherever they need to go to suit dramatic purposes is where the fuck have the White Walkers been? Yeah, no, um, like th- that's the, a fair question. I mean, we know they were at hard home a season ago. That's the White Walkers' big, big weakness. They don't like the march. They don't. Uh, they really don't. God, we went two miles yesterday. Can we just, like, take the day <laughs> off, guys? Here's My the, dogs are barking. <laughs> here's the sticking point is right now, as far as we can tell, there's no mechanism for the White Walkers to actually take the wall down. We've well, talked about a horn. We've talked about Brand all this shit. Bran is marked. Bran is marked, but he would have to get south of the wall. I mean, it's going to be a, a slog for him to get south, right? I don't know. He's, he's way got, north. Yeah, but he's got He his, just came from this fucking tree that's he's his, like He's got an undead north. uncle with an undead horse that presumably could... You know, like I, I, if if Bran shows up at the base of the wall next episode, it would not throw me, not one little bit. Okay, I, I suppose that's fair. Um, would throw I, you? I don't know about this horn thing. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if that's yeah. going to play the the part in it yeah. um, that we think it's going to play. I think the horn has been. I think the horn was. It seems like it's a red horning at this point. Really, it doesn't okay. like it. Even in the books, lore, Tormund's like, oh yeah, that's just something we were fucking with you guys with. Okay. So uh, now there's the dragon yeah, horn that Euron has. So. We'll be discussing here in a few minutes. That's well, that, still... that's right. That's the horn. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Well, that's yeah. not going to be involved with the wall. I wouldn't think. No. No. I, that's that's to do something with Danny's dragons. I don't. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, anyway, okay. let's see if I can make it through Devin's email here. So this would mean that season six cliffhanger would be the Night's King or the King's Landing burning and the walls collapse would be saved for the season seven finale. Personally, I could see it going either way. I'm hoping to see the wall fall this season, but I do think it's more likely that they'll save it for next. But no matter if the wall falls this season or next, I think season seven will primarily be about all the conflict of the various houses facing being alerted to the real threat of the walkers while also trying to defend themselves against Danny's invasion. And season eight will be about everyone finally reuniting forces against the walkers. I do agree with that. Yeah. It seems like he thinks it's an either or either King's Landing burns or the wall falls. I guess my thought is why not both? Like, I said that I want the last and scene to be two... Danny boarding a ship, but it could also be, like, you've got this triumphant music that then starts to turn sour, and it fades to black, and then you see 
the Night King come to the wall, you know, with all of his army. But that's the thing. Like, in 70-some minutes, you'd have to have Bran get to the wall, cross the wall. Right. The White Walkers come in behind him. And then something to the audience realizing, oh, this is a mistake. And then the, the White Walkers coming through the wall and, you know, the king putting his hand, doing his hand slam, ground pound attack, and a segment of the wall just collapsing. Right. But that would be a pretty fucking bomb-ass way to end the season. So what does it leave? Like, that's my biggest question. So for two seasons, we're going to get, what, Danny right. and... Danny and who? Like, Danny comes over. Yep. Uh, King's Landing is gone. Yep. The wall is down. Like, it leaves Danny and John to fight for yeah, two start, whole I'm seasons. See, I'm starting to see where, where, what Devin's talking about here. Because it's just if not an interesting... the wall falls down, that's on. And yet... Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah. And, in that case, what the fuck does Lady Stoneheart matter? What the no, fuck does any kind of petty <laughs> right. Stark versus Bolton and Frey shit? Like, you don't have enough time to kind of wrap all that up. I feel like you have too much time. If the wall comes down this at the end of this season, mm-hmm. I feel like there's too much time because that's not a battle that's nuanced, right? That's no, just that's like we said, yeah. That's like maybe you want to do an entire episode mm-hmm. that's battling the White Walkers in multiple locations or something, or yeah. or something like that. But I I really don't feel like you can sustain two seasons of here come the White Walkers, right? Right. Yeah, but one season because sure. yeah, one abbre- you know like a yeah, abbreviated season mm-hmm. because you're right. It, the the converse of the White Walkers not having any human drama is once they're on the scene, all the other human human drama kind of has to stop. Yeah, everything's out. I mean, the you window. can stall by having like every kingdom's reaction to what 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 you know, but eventually, right and Littlefinger going, well, I'm going to use this as an yeah, opportunity or something like fucking can- rungs of chaos to climb. Sure. Right, but ultimately, I just I just don't see it lasting. 13 episodes, 15 episodes, whatever. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk podcast where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. 
We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe! Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Mission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan-favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcast on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. Hey, everybody, here to talk about the club, club.baldmove.com. Guess what? Right now, if you're hearing this podcast, there is a spoiler in-depth review of the latest Independence Day movie. Oh, that's right. That we were quite excited to see uh, come out. And if you want to plan your weekend accordingly, if you're a club member... Uh, you can go get all the, the, the goodies. If you're not a club member, you can still enjoy the free review, but we don't get all spoilery. It's just a brief kind of like what we thought. Talking about some trailers, which I'm kind of excited about the trailers. This is a big summer blockbuster. Yeah, I rewatched uh, the original with my girlfriend last night. and Yeah. Her, she had never seen it, so her mind was blown. Holy shit. She didn't even know Jeff Goldblum was in it. Holy like, shit. Right? Uh, so it was good to you know refresh my memory on that. I, I sat there like quoting every line oh, from yeah. it as as it played i i love this movie uh-huh. it, it's a little silly at times but yeah. i love it and so like the idea of seeing 20 years later a sequel is amazing to you me. know it's amazing because i've seen the movie recently but i didn't rewatch it for the the movie but like it's amazing how some how dated some of the effects were mm-hmm. specifically the air assault when the um when aliens come to attack the Air Force base, yeah, like there's just some straight up bad compositing there. But yeah. back in the day, I was like, "Wow, this is amazing." Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm 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 excited to watch it. But yeah, this is an essentially a 60 second trailer for our Independence Day movie podcast. This is one of many things we do extra for the club fans. Uh, Ad free feeds, bonus shows like lunches with Jim and Aaron on the rocks with Jim and Aaron. Uh, we Jim is putting on the final touches of our epic confrontation of replaying the. Uh, Battles of Westeros version of the Battle of Blackwater, which is a it's a board game with dice and little plastic figurines, and uh, yeah. yeah. If I had to guess, look for that. I, I changed his. I, I feel like I'm changing week. history. The Lannisters, or I'm sorry, back up the uh, the Bar- the Baratheons look like they're going to carry the day. They could, yeah. If I was the Lannisters, I'd, if I was Cersei, I'd be getting that poison warmed up. <laughs> Get the funnel, get ready to pour it down the kid's gullet, yep. because we're coming to sack the city, boys and <laughs> girls. Uh, that's going to be coming out in the next week or two. Uh, we've got video game play. we got all kinds of stuff, and it's just a buck a month. And not only that, it helps us keep the lights on here and the bits flowing. 
so if you could find it in your heart to go to club.baldmove.com and uh, sign up and some kind of either monthly or yearly subscription, we would be ever so grateful. Finally, we've got a bunch. It's it's once the Game of Thrones is over, it's not truly over because of course we're going to continue right on to season one. So if you want to rewatch that with us, uh, we're going to backfill our catalog. But we also got some original content coming out. Right now, we're in the midst of Orange and the New Black. I've got a all-star roster of ladies that's helping me cover it. We're doing three episodes at a time because I know you guys binge the shit out of these shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's ongoing right now. Uh, Mr. Robot starts up in July. We'll have full coverage of that uh, and probably a preview episode where we talk about... We already did a, a review of the first season yeah. As a bald move TV production, we might throw that in a thread to get it started, but then do uh, you know as as we're wont to do a week before it begins airing, we'll have a preview podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one one other thing I'm leaving out. Oh, we just wrapped up Penny Dreadful, right? Which the less said about it, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, lots more stuff coming up. You have to be follow along on baldmove.com uh, to keep up the uh, breast of it. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook if uh, that's too much for you. At baldmove and slash baldmove respectively yeah and there you go christian from germany says since it was Littlefinger's army that came to john's rescue and since sansa has now tasted the sweet sweet fruits of revenge in the last episode i want to mention this one popular theory once again in a song uh, or a, a swarm of swords or storm of swords rather <laughs> when Arya travels with the brother to that banners as they come across this old lady who is known as the ghost of high heart who tells them about her dreams one dream or prophecy if you will is about sansa I dreamt of a maid at a feast with purple serpents in her hair, dripping venom from their fangs. This is clearly a prediction of the purple wedding and the poison in Sansa's hairnet. The maid is without a doubt Sansa. The dream continues. Later, I dreamt that same maid again, slaying a savage giant in a castle built of snow. In the eerie, Sansa builds uh, builds Winterfell as a snow castle, and Robin destroys the castle with his doll, pretending to the doll to uh pretending the doll is being a giant and sansa gets angry and rips the head off the doll so sansa slayed a doll giant in a snow castle but and here's where the theory might go too far depending on okay. your, your your proclivities knowing grrm and a song of ice and fire one can assume that this was not the final or ultimate fulfillment of this dream slash prophecy we know the maid sansa the snow castle is winterfell for three reasons one Sansa built Winterfell as a snow castle. Mm-hmm. Two, Jon took Winterfell back, so it became a castle of snow. Three, winter is coming, and there's actually snow in Winterfell covering the castle. But then who is the giant if not the doll? Also, in A Storm of Swords, when Sansa and Littlefinger arrive at the Fingers, which is Littlefinger's home, which, by the way, that's how he got his name, Littlefingers. There's that uh, on the uh, side of Westeros where he has his uh, landings. There's a series of little peninsulas called the Fingers. Hmm. And um, uh, 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 Ned's brother used to make fun of him, called him Littlefinger to make fun of like the, the, the how insignificant his, hands, his, his land holdings were. Mm-hmm. Anyway... Though we later learned that Peter uses a mockingbird as a sigil, his great-grandfather chose the Titan of Bravos as his because he was from Bravos. The sigil of House Baelish is a massive stone and bronze sculpture in the shape of a giant. So in the books, it could come down to this. Sansa's with Littlefinger in the Vale. She realizes that she is a surrogate for Catelyn Stark and the Littlefinger's in love with her. When Jon needs an army, she manipulates Littlefinger into helping Jon, perhaps promising herself to him. But in her time in the Vale, she also could learn that it was Littlefinger who initiated the war between the Starks and the Lannisters, and that Littlefinger betrayed her father. In this case, she would also have the motive to see Littlefinger dead, which I think 
Sansa has all the pieces to that puzzle if she cares to put them together in the show. I mean, she knows about the fact that he started a mess with John Aaron, uh, Aaron that he betrayed her aunt and, and like all that stuff. If this is the case in the books and the TV series both, Sansa would have a motive for revenge and the giant Littlefinger would be with her at Winterfell. Do you guys think that Sansa has something in stock that will lead to Littlefinger's death or at least downfall from power? Clearly, this prophecy is not in the show at all, um, although they did show the, you know, Robin and Sansa playing with the snow castle in the in the show. Mm-hmm. But it's one of these things where maybe we can use information from the books to divine what's going to happen in a TV show. I think it would be interesting if Sansa nakedly manipulated uh, Peter Baelish into doing what she, he, he wants uh, or she wants. She has the information that she could use with the Lords of the Vale to, be, to fuck him, right? Mm-hmm. Because she stood by him once, but she could say, oh, he was threatening me and blah, blah, blah. I, it seems like she could dispose of Littlefinger if she wants. He's given her yeah. the tools to do it. Why wouldn't she use them? No, I, I certainly don't think it's uh, off the table. Okay, uh, and especially as she becomes, uh, I don't want to say comes into her own because I don't know that I want her to be a vengeful sort sure. of character. But it's kind of same thing like rooting for Arya to be a master assassin, right? Like, wait, what? What are we doing here as <laughs> as as viewing audiences? But as as she gets more adept, let's say, okay. uh, she she hones her skills a little bit. Sure, I I could see her going that direction. We're we're ruling out the idea that Ramsey was that giant. Well, because she directly led to his downfall. How would he metaphorically? There, here's the, there's, there's two problems with this. Number one, I'm not aware of any other prophecy in Martin's work that has like a greater fulfillment. Okay, you know, like usually it's prophecy fulfillment, prophecy fulfillment. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you might not properly understand it, and you might think it applies to one thing, but it really applies to something else. But I'm. I'm struggling to remember one that has, like, oh, on the face of it, uh, fulfillment, and then, like, oh, shit, it's actually fulfilled at a grander scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess the second problem is if it's not, you know, Littlefinger has an association with a giant, a literal giant. Right. I don't know that Ramsey does. Sure. Like, nothing about his he's sigil. He's a giant asshole. asshole. Yeah, he's a, he's, <laughs> a, he's a giant dick. He cuts off big dicks. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, don't have sure. there. I, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, well, uh, but yeah, that, that right doesn't do make so. as much sense as I suppose Littlefinger does. Uh, but no, I would like, I would, I, uh, I would love for her to throw Littlefinger, you know, his his own bullshit right back at him. Like, uh-huh. oh, you thought you were manipulating me and that you were get, using me yet again to climb the rungs of chaos. Well, surprise motherfucker. Yeah. It's all coming crashing down. Uh, Andy M what, and that's the thing. Like it could come to like an appeal to sweet Robin too. And if Robin had to choose <laughs> right. between, uh, his uncle that gives him the sweet birds and calls him the defender of the veil versus his hot cousin that he might, you know, like he's warped. Yep. He spent his his formative years sucking on his mama's titty. Yeah, there's nothing out of out of the possibilities here. <laughs> no, for Robin. No, like I feel like uh, Littlefinger is going to be the one flying out the moon door if he had to choose between the two. That's what I thought was going to happen with this whole Knights of the Vale thing. Yeah, I thought she was appealing to Robin. Yeah, uh, but it turns out she was appealing to Littlefinger. But yeah, she could still use that use that ace up her sleeve. Mm, appealing to Littlefinger is Littlefinger, perhaps. Robin's little finger. <laughs> little fingers all around. 
Uh, Andy M said, "What if Martin is making a comment on nature versus nurture with Jon Snow's t- character as a Targaryen versus Stark? He may be faced with supporting the conquering Targaryen and Danny versus the honorable Stark and Sansa. Both of these powerful women would be half sisters to him. We saw recently that he was acting like his quote unquote father, Ned. But if R plus L equals J, like we all suppose Ned is, that means he's not his father. Maybe we'll later see Jon identify more with the family he was raised with rather than the family of his true father. Hmm. I mean that." kind of fits in with Theon's theme too, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh I get. I mean, I don't know like, you know, to the extent that Martin says he doesn't like allegory and he doesn't sign up with any of this like Saddam Hussein and nuclear devices and landmines and all the other bullshit we've we've we painted the, the brush, I can imagine that he wouldn't be down with any kind of nature versus nurture argument. But okay. on the other hand, like he's already kind of made that argument with Theon too, so hmm. it would be interesting to see. I, I feel like that John. So John finds out he's a Targaryen. He might see that as an opportunity, but I don't feel like he thinks, "Ah, oh, yes, now I found my true family." I still think he identifies as a Stark. Yeah, he finds it seems out like as a it. Targaryen. Um. I- who knows? I mean, maybe that changes over the course of... Like, you compare and contrast, like, Theon. Like, let's say Theon didn't know that he was a Targaryen... Or, sorry, that he was a Greyjoy and he was raised as a Stark. I feel like mm-hmm. that he finds out he's a Stark. He's like, fuck! Or he finds he's a Greyjoy. He's like, fuck yeah, I'm a Greyjoy. Give me my salt wife. Give me my pirate boat. Time to rape... You know, he would be all about that. Whereas John, I like, if he finds out he's a Targaryen, I don't think it changes his internal loyalties. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I try... I try to think about it like if I found out I was part of some other family, like let's say uh, I found out I was part of Bill Gates family. Does that change who I am? No. I mean, maybe I knock on his door, hit him up for some cash. Yeah, no, no. Other than that, I don't (laughs) think it really changes like the fundamental things about me because that is nurture, right? Like those are learned habits and learned things. And I, I don't, I just don't feel like you can flip that switch. The only uh, thing is just by finding that out is Catelyn was such a bitch to him and some of his family like he was always mm-hmm. kind of kept apart. Maybe he would see this as like, I, you know, I never as much as I admired these people, especially my father and my brothers uh, and my little sister, Arya, I never really felt like I was a part of it. And now sure, like Danny, she's off freeing the slaves. And that sounds good to my Stark upbringing. That seems laudable. And she's trying to avenge wrongs done to her family. And that's like, maybe he would. I guess, I, like I said, maybe hmm. I'm seeing it with, with Stark tinted glasses that like <laughs> I'm imagining growing up is like he was so dissatisfied. He wanted to forsake everything and go serve on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, Andy in what? Well, no, that's the nature versus nurture. Uh, let's try Gary B. Gary Busey. Yeah, Gary Busey. All right. Look, who knows what this will have? <laughs> be rambly and insane. <laughs> let's say that the, by the mother's mercy, Danny actually set sail for Westeros with her vast horde and three flying beasts of war. As we've been asking for her to sail to Westeros for three seasons, yep. or about one bajillion pages, if you're a book reader. <laughs> But we never ask, where would be the best place for Westeros, or in Westeros, right. for her to land and stage her initial assault or conquest? Well, there's only one place called Landing that I know of. King's Landing? Well, you so here you go. You gotta, you gotta change it to You gotta change it to... You gotta, yeah. you gotta conquer a Queen's Landing. Uh, <laughs> does she go old school and land on Dragonstone as her ancestors before her? 
Does she go straight for the gullet and sail through the Blackwater and lay siege to King's Landing? Yeah. Could she sail straight over to Sunspear and either attempt to form an alliance with Dorne or do what no other Targaryen has achieved and conquer it? Hmm. There are quite a few possibilities here, but it seems landing near King's Landing would mean her fighting the Lannister army almost immediately. uh, Or the Tyrell army, rather. Um, He says Lannister, but the Lannister army is still in the Riverlands. Yeah. Uh, which I would not think would be preferable when trying to establish a foothold in the Seven Kingdoms. If she sailed to Dorne, she could at least put some distance between her and the two largest armies in the kingdoms and possibly utilize the mountainous terrain of Dorne against the Tyrell and Lannister armies. I Mm. feel like landing in Dorne seems like the most logical possibility. It's also, I feel like that's what Varys, if if, if someone held my feet to the fire, that's what he's doing, is, you know, it would be neat... To see him actually talking with some of the Dornish women. Paving the way for Danny. Yeah, yeah, this episode. But that feels like... Dragonstone is interesting possibility because Stannis' house is essentially wiped out. That was his personal seat. Hmm. Uh, and I, to my knowledge, there's probably nothing but a very small garrison of men holding that. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I feel they need to do is give the Dothraki time to get their bearings again, right? To, to get their land legs back. Can you imagine how fucking seasick they're going to be? Right. I mean, they don't want to go directly <laughs> into a siege of King's Landing. Right. Straight off the boats. That's a real bad idea. Right. I mean, they've never been on a ship before. They're going to get on a ship, and they're yeah. going to immediately all get seasick, and they're going to be like, oh, God, the gods have cursed us. The poison, the water's poison. <laughs> it's going to be a bunch of superstition and bullshit. Yeah, you don't want them landing and immediately having to fight. So I think Dorne makes uh, for a good landing spot assuming there won't immediately be a battle there. Uh, they won't think they're here. I, I, like, I don't think they would try to just conquer Dorne immediately, just boom, land and do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can see that approach from the south. Uh, team up with the other people who also want to take out Cersei. Right. Uh, yeah. The wow. other possibility in the books, if they want to do some little Martin's razoring, uh, the whole seemingly dead plot um, of the fake Aegon, or perhaps the genuine Aegon. Again, I keep showing my my thoughts on this theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Fagon and Griff, the guy who's got infected with the grayscale in the books, and he's kind of his mentor, uh, they land at this place called Griffin's Roost, which is his ancestral seat, and it's in the Stormlands, which is a bit to the... It, it's on the same coast as King's Landing, but a bit to the north of it. It's north okay. of Dra- uh, of uh, Dragonstone and uh, King's Landing. Uh, that would be, if they want to, again, Martin's razor it, and maybe to the extent that Fagon takes a bunch of houses that later proclaim to Danny, and there's some interesting characters that they want to roll back into the show, that would be an interesting possibility, too. Yeah, and also would have like that would also be the minimum amount of imprint as far as fucking up what the books are doing, mm-hmm. because someone you know a Targaryen, an alleged Targaryen, did land there and start raising banners and whatnot. So if if there's something else going on in Dorne or King's Landing, or something that's that's not going. That's just like a direct overlay of the two of the two plots. So that's a possibility as well. How do you feel about the Dorn stuff? Like, that was started early this season, another, like, Tower of Joy thing where we just haven't come back to it at all. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't even started this season. That was started last season. Yeah. Um... The, they killed Doran this season, but that's... Yeah, I... It was episode one? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I I haven't missed it. No, I haven't either. Uh, so much else has been going on that and again, I've been fine with it. 
I don't know why you had to kill. Why it was crucial to kill Doran? Like, why couldn't you know? Why couldn't they reveal that Doran is true blue for the Targaryens and he's? Yeah, I mean that would then Varys is come and he's welcome with open arms. Or now Varys is like, who the fuck is this? When he comes up and the Sand Snakes are running everything, and uh-huh. I I don't know. I that is a huge question mark. And again, if we don't see anything from Doran <laughs> in this next episode, what the fuck? I guess I would be surprised, but here's the problem I'm running into. Like, every time we consider, oh, will this thing happen by the end of the season with only one episode There's left, a lot of stuff that we're packing in there, yeah. There's so much that we're packing in, but every time I think about it, I'm like, well, all of these other things have to happen, or or all of these other things are yet to happen, so this thing can't happen. But I say that about every single thing, right? And right. at the end of the day, something has to happen, <laughs> so... Yep. I, I really feel like the King's Landing stuff is going to explode, literally, with wildfire. Um, but that, like, how... Let's say you have Cersei and Lancel's trial. It goes pear-shaped, and yeah. King's Landing set ablaze. How long does that take? 30 minutes? Right. You still got 40 minutes worth of B-plots yeah. that could... I mean, I'm... With with the extra with the extra long episode, I feel like that you could probably... I just don't think the King's Landing stuff is going to take that long to wrap up. I don't think so either. I think 30 minutes feels about right. So less than half the episode. I mean, there's so much else out there, though. There's, like you said, Jorah's a hanging thread. Uh, Sam's a hanging thread. I don't need to see Jorah. I don't need to necessarily see Sam. Like, Sam, right. I, don't, I don't know that any of them... Th- those guys are off doing their thing, and they can... I, I don't need to check back in with them. Like, I need to know... I need... I, I'd like to see... Well, I know we're going to check in with Jamie. Okay. Because that was seen in the, 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 the preview trailers. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Ah, okay. ha, ha. It's the one, <laughs> I think it's the first time I actually watched the thing because I was running so okay. late that I decided I was going to stick around for him anyway. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene of G- Jamie like feasting with the phrase in River Run, like celebrating the fact that they've reconquered it. Oh, okay. Which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, and that might take a couple minutes to, to re. I, I don't feel like I need to. It would be nice to see what Arya is up to, but I feel like that she's in a she is in a holding pattern that she could stay in. Mm-hmm. But I gotta I gotta I gotta go back up north and see what's the direct. A- I need that confrontation between John and Sansa or something. I right. need the confrontation between Sansa and per, pot, pot, potentially John and Littlefinger. I need some confrontation in King's Landing. Well, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like that's, that's going to be the given. A plot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. But I'm seeing like of all the other things, like I gotta get, I gotta get back north. That's another five, ten minutes. Uh, I, I want to check in with, uh, with, uh, tier, uh, uh, Varys. Okay. Like I assume that that's going to be something. Although that's another plot. It's that not could necessary, be held. right? Um, I don't know. I don't know. There is a lot of room. Euron. Where they... Euron's a hanging thread. I would like to know about Euron, and honestly, yeah. Bran. We got to get back to Bran. Right. It's been a couple episodes on him. Yeah, and that uh, could probably be another 10-minute easy, especially yeah. if you're going to wrap up the Tower of Joy. Right. The Tower of Joy could take a while, too. Right. Like, proving the lineage of <laughs> Jon Snow could take a while. I don't even think he has to prove, but I like if they show... I mean, if they if they show a baby in her arms and his name's Jon Snow... Or I want you to know. I want Ned. Promise right, me. Right. Promise me. <laughs> you'll you'll name raise him, him as your own. Yeah. You'll name him John. Like that's like that's going to set the internet on fire. Sure. Okay. So, and that's pretty quick. Yeah. So I. That feels like they could fit all that stuff in. And then the walls got to come down. So the walls yeah. got to fall down. Of course. Of course. We have to have a massive sea battle between Euron and Danny's forces. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Let us uh, let us move on then. 
John R. says, There's been much discussion and much made about the cherished book fan theories and tinfoil and trying to see uh, how they fit into the show. Some have not appeared, but many have been heavily implied at times, like the Clegane Bowl, Lady Stoneheart, Grand Northern Conspiracy, etc. I was wondering if this is far from coincidental, but rather a deliberate nod of the head, head fake, in the show. Because basically they want to avoid the show being one massive piece of dry pie for GRRM, or GERM as I like to call him. They have shown that they aren't afraid to significantly deviate with, uh, for example, Sansa and Brienne. So I was wondering if they were deliberately sending characters in opposite directions, such as the Hound going north, Jamie seeming to turn back to the dark side instead of redemption, Barristan dying, and potentially others, uh, the Ironborn to some extent, etc. I also wonder if the complexity in deviating from Gurm has led to some of the frankly shittier plots, such as Dorne, uh, Bravos uh, being the most obvious examples, and the Knights in the Vale. Uh, invasion of the North, perhaps being another. So, if I'm going to reduce this down to a single sentence, are the double D's zigging when they should be zagging because they do not want to essentially invalidate the uh, experience of reading George's books? Uh, I don't know. And then then there's two layers of that. Are they consciously doing it or subconsciously doing it? uh, It just it doesn't feel right to me. Like you, you want to make a show that's faithful as faithful as possible to the books in the first five seasons. And then you want to purposefully deviate from the books so that no one will know what the books are going to do. Like it seems insane when you say it that way. Like it, so I've seen this go down a lot of different ways, both just watching in Hollywood and in real and in my own real life is like when, Something kind of bad happens. Like, say, in The Walking Dead, Frank Darabont gets fired. You've got two camps. You've got the uh, guy who has to take over, who might have served underneath him, and he's like, well, I can either refuse to do this and they'll get someone to replace me, or I can make the best go out of it and try to, you know, the Mazera approach. And then you've got, like, the different actors who are more or less, they're contractually bound, but they're still loyal and they want to be written out of the show. Like, I, I don't I, – I mean, I guess if I was a double D's and through no fault of my own, I'm making this whip-ass adaptation of the source material and the author just doesn't hold up his end, I'd feel bad about it, but I'd still try to make the very best damn show I could. And I wouldn't feel like I owed it to him or his readers. Like, right. do I owe the hundreds of thousands of Game of Thrones OG fans or do I owe the millions and millions of show watchers who, oh, by the way, are watching a show that I'm being paid to make? Yeah. Like, I feel like my loyalties are squarely on the ladder. Yeah. But I don't. And there again, like, I might say that subconsciously, but subconsciously, maybe I am sandbagging. Or maybe, again, like I said last week, I didn't sign on for this fucking bullshit. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really that well suited to write George Martin's ending for me. So I'm not trying to spare him. But I got these bullet points, and instead of gardening out this rich tapestry, I'm just essentially hitting the bullet points. Right. And everything in between is kind of dodgy. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, who can say, other than, you know, we keep coming back to that, the double Ds and GRM. It would be really awesome for, like, once this is all said and done, and, like, they're working on the giant-ass $300 box set. Mm-hmm. Like a, like a kind of a sprawling making of where I would love to see a candid interview between the double D's about and, yeah. and even Martin like a like a uh, an oral history of like how did you feel yeah like Martin when you felt the show creeping up on you 
And you, when did you first realize that it wasn't going to happen? And what did you think? And how did that impact your writing process? Yeah, how now, did those interactions go? Like, Dan and David, what was that like when you went to Martin in, in the off season and said, so when are you going to get this book? And he's like, I think you guys are going to overtake me. How was he? I mean, I don't know that we'll ever get anything that honest, but my God, I'd pay a lot of money to see it. Right, and it doesn't have to be hostile, right? I mean, it could just be a frank discussion between George and those guys, like a roundtable that I would just love to see. That would be, like, really cool. Yeah. Well, who's that guy on PBS that does, like, the round, the Charlie... Yeah, I know what you're talking you know, about. Uh, but yeah, get sure. them, get them around the table and just have a discussion. Because you're right, I don't. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of rancor around this. It's more like it's a bummer for everybody. But yeah. you know, you, you didn't do it on purpose. We're not doing it on purpose. We're all trying to make a great thing here. Yeah, Let's, yeah. At the same time, I know there's some frustration, right? There's got to be yeah. from the double D's going. Now this is all on us. We didn't expect this. Yeah. Well, and Martin used uh, to be in the writing room. I mean, he used to write, in, as tradition, an episode a season. Yeah. He stopped doing that, like, three seasons ago. Like, I bet that was a huge blow to not mm-hmm. have him, like, working in the stable of writers and be able to fire him off just to, like, hey, here's a tonal question we have. But also, easily justifiable. I've got a fucking book to write. Do you want yes. me to get this done before yes. you guys get there or not? Yes, yes. <laughs> and then it turns out he didn't, and all that was for nothing. Like, ugh. Yeah. And again, like I said, I, I'm I'm not... I'm not trying. I don't feel like it's right to judge Double D's because it's not like they were in season one, you know, yeah, clapping their hands again like oh, I can't wait till we outrace the old man. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like they're probably just as bummed out that they, you know, it's already heavy lifting to adapt this onto the screen. Not only are you adapting, but you're having to come up with the original material yourself. Like, ugh. yeah, that's not why they wanted to do this. All right, let's move on. Evan S. said, you've mentioned a couple times that Danny and company uh, could possibly run into Grey. Uh, Euron Greyjoy on the high seas. You seem to think the dragons trump all, but what if Euron whips out his big bad dragon horn? Oh, okay. I <laughs> thought he was going to whip out something else, but his big bad... Lasso to dragons the cock. Yeah. The big cock. Uh, uh, that's interesting. What what powers does this dragon horn have? Explain... No one. Well, it's actually it's got the power of the to kill one of Euron's men when he blows it. Right, fire lung. Super loud, and then like there's these runes that glow fiery red when that when it happens. They play. Oh, oh, I've got the perfect. But here's ice the thing. Fire. We haven't seen this horn. It hasn't even been mentioned. Yep. Isn't there like a the a, an opposite corollary theory to like Chekhov's gun? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have an ultimate weapon that was not seen in the first act and it is deployed in the third that the audience calls bullshit. Yeah. Like, that's that's bad fantasy, right? It seems like it. Like, the hero's going to die, except for, wait, we've got this ultimate thing that we didn't even know yeah. could happen. It, it feels very deus ex machina. It's like, just like... We as book readers, it would be like, yeah, right on, but, like, that's like David Lynch Dune. Like, what... I think a lot of show watchers like, what the fuck? There's a horn yeah. that can magically can control these things, and you're on new about it, and he's talking about his big cock? Yeah. Maybe maybe it was a metaphor it. for horn. Yeah. Maybe his big swinging cock was, yeah, just that a dragon very horn. metalocalypse. You know, he's... Right? <laughs> murder face has got the big uh, rhinestone-encrusted horn. Uh-huh. I, I, that's my only problem with the horn coming into the show, is that it has to be introduced as something before it's actually used, or else right. what confidence do I have that they're... I mean, why would I, why would I even do a spoiler lore podcast if 
nothing in the book, like, I guess the books would matter, but nothing in the show has a, needs to be introduced before it's like... Yeah, that would feel cheap. Yeah, like, shit, why not just have Danny ride to the Red Keep and take it over right now? Like, if none of the connecting parts matter. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I just feel like the Dragonhorn is going to be Martin's Razored. And and Could it's be. been re- and honestly, it's kind of shitty because I do think that part of the razoring is the fact that Danny just magically can control her dragons now. Right, like that's just been completely smoothed over and paved over. Yeah, not just one, but all of them. Mm-hmm. They just all like Beyonce, ladies, get in formation and let's burn this ship. I, yeah, you know, what I say if you like it, put a saddle on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say. Words to live by. Uh, Mike from Louisville said, concerning the invulnerability, quote-unquote, of dragons, Aegon, the first sister-wife, Rhaenerys, was killed in the First Dornish War when a bolt was shot through a dragon's eye and they fell to earth. Um, I did some reading on this. So her dragon, Miraxes, uh, they were fighting the First Dornish War and an iron bolt from a scorpion. Do you know what a scorpion is? No. It's one of those big man-sized like oh, the, okay. like crossbows that the Romans would use. Right. And when I say man size, I don't mean appropriate for a man to carry. I mean yeah. they're like six, seven foot tall and they can they can wing like a three or four foot solid iron bolt. Yeah. Uh right a fair amount of distance. So that's that seems like one of those one in a million shots where it's like a desperation, you're trying to do it and, and um I don't know that that. I mean, obviously, I didn't mean to suggest that dragons are invulnerable. Just that you can conquer a whole continent with essentially three of them. It's like what happened at the wall. Wasn't there like a giant arrow shot? Well, that was shot at the wall. I think that was like as a giant's bow. The right? giant, you yeah. like he is essentially has a giant sized scorpion, right? Or a man sized scorpion that he was using as a as a cro- conventional crossbow. Exactly. So think of yeah. it like that. If yeah, a yeah. human being were using that, and it, it takes team. To use one of those things. Yeah. And then you gotta aim it and you gotta hit a tracking target and you've gotta get them. Like I don't think that I mean I because this dragon, it wasn't the biggest one. Balerion, the one the Aegon ro- uh, rode was the biggest one, but it was said and I as I was doing my thing and reading up on the history, that it could swallow horses whole. So it was a good sized dragon, and I, I feel like the sentiment is that if you had to hit this dragon in any other place it wouldn't have seriously wounded it, but you hit it right in the eye and it goes right through the optic nerve. And it was like one of those just freak shots. Right. Um, but so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, dragons aren't completely invincible, but mm-hmm. they're pretty damn good. They're way better than having a couple giants in your army. Yeah. Uh, the other thing he pointed out is that four dragons were killed during the storming of the dragon pit, which was during one of the, uh, civil wars. Uh, there used to be this big dragon dome in King's landing, and a bunch of commoners broke down the door and got into there. And now these dragons were confined and chained. Uh, and even still, they killed hundreds and some say thousands of people before they were brought down. Uh, one even... Uh, so it's interesting. So I guess the two the first two that were chained died fairly quickly. The third one broke free in the pits. And it, the account said that he killed more than his brothers and sisters combined. And then a fourth one actually um, broke free and tried to, like, get out of the, the dome itself. And he ended up bringing the dome down and, and that, like, it collapsed on him and killed him. And then a the fifth one got out and, like, went to, I think, the Great Sept of Baylor and was just, like, fucking shit up. And then, like, masses of people brought him down. 
Hmm. Um, so yeah, you can do it, but again, I don't think you're going to see you're you're going to fight the dragons in a thunderdome. I think it's going to be like on a fields of battle or in your. And that's the thing. Like you stay in your fortified castles, you get Heron Hall, where you just get roasted inside of them. Mm-hmm. You meet them on an open field, you get the fields of flame where you're roasted on the. It's like there's. <laughs> Not a great way to keep this stuff from happening. You got to get lucky with your scorpions and your catapults, I guess. Right. Anyway, um, let's. That's the last email, actually. Um, so we have one more episode. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen, and I have none, no idea. Of, you know, we we talked for the last hour about what we kind of hope is going to happen, what we're excited to happen. But. Yeah, there really wasn't a lot of development here for the spoiler stuff uh, in episode nine. And it feels like the spoil, like these last few episodes have been getting lighter because as the things crystallize and you start like, you know, 308 broke the back of a lot of uh, a lot of hype. Uh, but as you can no longer talk about the Clegane Bull and they outlaw trial by combat and the Battle of the Bastards is over. Like they're, you know, it's essentially: are we going to see Clegane? Are we going to see Lady Stoneheart? Who's the Valonqar? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a couple in-game theories that. But I, I had a couple of those I could have read, but like that's just that's just making shit up at this point. Sure, sure. So uh, that's what we got. Uh, we'll have a, you know, I'm sure an awesome instant cast on Sunday night. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday we'll have the full coverage podcast and we'll be back for a final spoiler and then we will also have a wrap up season wrap up yeah and then the week after that I think we're gonna go right into season one yeah yeah we're gonna do a rewatch I so. said I was kind of I said I wanted a week off but now but when I remembered that we can just we don't have to wait till Sunday night to watch it right <laughs> we can just do it any old time yeah uh, and that penny dreadful's over now I feel like that yeah well we don't need to take a week off we can just keep the momentum going okay cool carry us right into season one. Yeah, I'm excited to to rewatch these with new uh, podcasty eyes. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, got that to look forward to. We'll be back Sunday night. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. See ya.